Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. This evening, Proverbs 5 and verse 12, starting. Proverbs 5 and verse 12. This, if I could just preface this, Solomon is speaking to his son. Okay. He says, and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Tonight, for a little while, with the help of the Lord, I want to preach this right in the middle of church. Right in the middle of church. Amen. You know, you know, you know a good story is coming. Everyone says, right in the middle of church. And so I take that for my subject matter. Hopefully it will pique interest right in the middle of church. Pray with me right now. Father, I come to you tonight and I'm grateful again for being here. God, we have congregated together tonight, God, not out of obligation, but because of a deep Lord, Lord beckoning desire to be here and to, Lord, lift up your name and give praise, Lord, from the fruit of our lips. I pray, oh God, tonight, Jesus, let your word find each and every one of us. I pray, oh God, today. Let the voice, God, sound clear, Lord Jesus. God, as we would, Lord, once again turn our attention to it and receive instruction and encouragement and guidance. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, let us not leave this place. God, Lord, if it be, Lord Jesus, your spirit would just fall and meander, God, among the pews, Lord, and those that have gathered themselves together here tonight. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say, Amen. You may be seated this evening in Jesus' name. Right in the middle of church. Again, Solomon is admonishing his son. And Solomon is going to some great lengths admonishing his son about the pitfalls, and just don't jump off board, okay, about the pitfalls of strange women. And if there was ever a man that that could give detailed guidance and instruction uh, concerning the subject matter that he was speaking of. Solomon knew quite well of the subject matter that he was speaking of whenever he's speaking to his son about the pitfalls of strange women. He carefully describes to his son in this father-son talk, he carefully describes the deceitfulness of strange women. He lets him know, his son know, that everything isn't as it appears to be with strange women, that you just cannot take her for face value. There is more some to what meets the eye or more than just what's on surface whenever it comes to a strange woman or a strange lady. He was telling his son some of the things to look for and some of the instairments and entrapments that he should avoid from her. He was trying to let 
him in on what her personality is like and her tenaciousness is like and how she works and how she operates. He was telling his son that a strange woman is very convincing, but the end of the matter with such a woman would be a way of destruction and a way of death. It is a downward decline spiral with such a woman. And he, he admonishes his son, basically, don't go there. Just don't go there because if you were to go there and involve yourself in that and partake of that, I guarantee you that she will subtract from your life more than you have available. She will take from you more than what you have to offer. She will leave you destitute. She'll leave you, if you will, high and dry. And all of the honor that you had, all the years and the life that you had, your wealth, and all the labor that you have ever invested will be jeopardized if you involve yourself with the strange woman. Everyone say amen. And so Solomon is begging his son, begging his son to stop while he is still yet ahead. He said, lest there come a day when with clarity of mind, there comes a day after you may have went down that path and engaged in that type of relationship, there will be a day that you'll come to a clarity of mind and you'll ask yourself some questions in recollection. You'll ask yourself some questions such as, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised Reproof. In other words, son, if, if you walk down this road, if you engage with a strange woman, there will be a day of reckoning when you will be in disbelief that you ever done, or you ever did rather what you've done. There'll be a day after the matter you'll cast your eyes over the shoulder, if I could put it in layman's terms, and you'll be thinking, what was I thinking? How have I hated instruction? How have I despised reproof? You, you will in that moment, son, you will remember and recall every suitable word that had ever been spoken by a teacher of yours. It will be in that day you'll remember every word that was spoken, if I could bring it to modern society, by every pastor of yours, every prophet that ever spoke over or into your life. It will be in that day that you will hear the reverberating words that I'm speaking to you right now if you ever involve yourself with such a woman. He says, a matter of fact, you'll remember in that moment that time when you shrugged off the convictions that you had in your own heart when you shrugged off the convictions and the sound counsel that was given to you, whenever in that moment when you shrugged it off, you had that idea, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Just stay with me here for a little bit. He says in that moment, there will come a day of clarity of mind that you will realize that you stepped in this horrid direction by stepping over godly counsel by bypassing the cry of teachers, preachers, mother and father and instructors in your life. Solomon knew of that which he spoke of. Solomon had walked down that road. Solomon had been, been down that path. He had lived that life and as they say, got the t-shirt to prove it. He had come through those moments of realization. He had that moment in his life when it was all said and done that he was pondering, what have I done? 
what am I doing even perhaps? But you'll note in verse number 14, He's been going along here. He's been instructing his son. His words have been toward his boy, giving him instruction, giving him guidance. But in verse 14, there's something that changes. In verse 14, there is almost a personal note that is just interjected right in between all of this admonition that he has given to his son. He's not necessarily speaking to his boy right now in so much that he is recalling and remembering something himself. There's a personal note here that is taking place. Solomon begins to share then the next phrase and he says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and of the assembly. It's as though he's been talking to his boy all along here and because of the subject matter that he's been talking about. It starts to bring back some life and memories to himself and the path that he walked and the way that he had went and some private happenings perhaps that nobody even knew about except Solomon and God. And so he began to relive maybe some dark moments in his own life. Perhaps he began to recount the 700 wives and the 300 concubines later in his own life and says, I was in all evil almost all evil, amen, in the midst of the congregation and the an assembly. What a confession. What a phrase. What an admission. Solomon, King Solomon, a man that no doubt has a temple named after him that frequents that temple that had at myriad times audience with God and yet he confesses and says there were times that I intermingled with almost all evil right in the midst of being king right in the midst of having a temple named after me right in the midst of having audience with the Savior Right in the midst of frequenting that temple, I was in almost all evil, and it was right in the middle of church. Someone say amen. Our minds are saying, how in the world can this be? I mean, what kind of possibility do we have here for such a thing to happen? That that could happen in the house of God. That that could happen in the temple of Solomon. That that could happen with the audience of the great king of glory. That, as we sometimes say, that that could happen right in the middle of church. Stay with me for a little while because I won't hold you real long, but long enough. From my understanding, this is something I've heard on a good portion of my life. But they say, have you ever heard the idea that most car accidents happen close to home? You know, that's just not a myth. That's just not something that's propagated. That is true. As a matter of fact, from the studies that I've seen today, only 1% of accidents occur more than 50 miles from your home. Now, consider this for a moment, that whenever you are less than a mile from your home, 23% of accidents happen less than a mile from home. Two to five miles from home, about 29% of accidents happen about two to five miles from home. 
6 to 10 miles from home, 17%. 11 to 15 miles from home, 8%. 16 to 20 miles from home, 6%. Greater than 20 miles, 17%. Insomuch that the greatest amount of accidents happen in that 2 to 5 mile range radius from home. When we begin to ponder this, now there is no doubt the reasoning that, well, that's home. And so most people go to grocery stores that's close to their house. Most people's going to fill up with gas at gas stations that's close to home. Uh, I know we're not the big metropolis city here in Mount Carmel, but uh, just imagine for a moment. You know, in a big city, you're, you're going to send your kids to preschools that are in a close proximity to your house. You don't want to drive 30 minutes across a big metropolis uh, to get the kid to a school. So a lot of the activity takes place around your home. Most of your driving is spent near or nigh your house. So every time that you leave the house, you got to drive, if you will, in that 10 mile radius of your house in order to pick up some eggs from the store and buy a gallon of milk and top off the tank because you go know you're going to work the next morning you drop off the kids so you're driving in that 10 mile radius from your house so the probability then is higher that since that's where you frequent a lot and you're in that 10 mile radius a lot that there's probably somewhere along the line in life going to have an accident because that's where you're at a lot It's near to your house. That's where you drive most often. And I get that. Can I, with the spiritual application tonight, say, I get that. I understand that some of our faults and failures are going to happen close or near or even within the church. I get that because I frequent this place. This is where I go. This is where I come for spiritual nourishment. And I know I'm not a perfect human being. I know I still make mistakes. I know I still got flaws. So it's highly probable, amen, that if I'm going to make a mistake, it could be somewhere around the skirts of the church. If I'm going to mess up or flub up, it's probably going to happen somewhere around the church because if the church has any degree of involvement in my life, it's probably going to be somewhere around the church because I'm not flawless and I'm going to trip up. But Solomon told his son, there are some mistakes that happened when you are in church because, son, you'll shun the voice of reproof. He says there's some mistakes that will happen because you'll quiet the voice of the instructor. Listen to me, folks. There was times as a young man, there were times as a young man growing up I thought sometimes my dad could be pretty stern in the pulpit. And Brother Mason, even as bishop over the past three years, there have been times that he's embraced this pulpit, and I thought, man, that is some stout, strong meat. There have been times personally I've went away from this place and have asked my wife, was I too forward tonight? Did I overstep any bounds? Because I felt like a little bishop spirit got on me. But I must... 
must declare on the side of Solomon tonight, sometimes we preach the way we preach. And we preach what we preach. Because God knows there may be several right in the middle of church that may be almost involved with all evil. That silented the voice of the teacher, of the instructor, of the one with the voice of influence in their life. If you'll just, Holy Ghost, if you'll just indulge me for a moment and turn and let me read some scripture, it's all right. It won't hurt any of us. But in Ezekiel 3 and verse number 17, I don't know if I'll read both of these passages. They're awful similar, but there are certain, certain things that each has uh, that makes a contribution to what I'm saying, I believe, this evening. But in Ezekiel 3 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Son of man, the Spirit of the Lord comes unto Ezekiel speaking. He says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth. And listen, give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood will I require at thine hand yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way he shall die in his iniquity but thou hast delivered thy soul in other words you're not accountable for that Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood shall require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Very similar, but very con contributing as well. Ezekiel 33 and verse number 3. Just I got probably five verses here, okay? But this, this lays a good platform, I think, for some understanding here. Ezekiel 33 and verse 3. The Bible says, he's speaking now to the watchman, the son of man. Here we go again. He says, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet, the watchman here, and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. If he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's 
hand. So thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman into the house of Israel. So hear the word of the Lord. So we preach what we preach and we warn as we see fit to warn God's word as a basis because if we don't and you're snatched away, we don't and you still go headlong in that and you're lost forever. That's required at the watchman's hands. But if I sound the alarm and I have the voice of a crier and my trumpet is clear and distinct and you do not pay attention to my warning, then the blood is upon your own hands. Someone say amen. Why do we do what we do? This, maybe this is a little instruction or behind the scenes of pastoring and ministering. Why do they do what they do and get red face and spit over top the pulpit and look as though sometimes they're mad and I'm really not maybe at the enemy but I'm not mad at you precious people. Why do their eyebrows grow together and every wrinkle on this 35 year old face pops out and veins come out my ears. Why does that all happen like it happens? You know there's something inter- interesting concerning that because about a year, a year and a half or so ago, the state of Indiana bolstered their warning service for tornadoes and inclement weather. Because what had happened was there was a lot of weather that had taken place and people did not take shelter. They did not heed some of the warnings. And as a result of not heeding warnings and not taking shelter, there were fatalities that were increasing in the state of Indiana because whenever warnings came, people did not take them and destruction followed just as the warning had said. And so Indiana, they, they increased their warning system. They bolstered it a little bit. And, and Indiana started using back uh, a little over a year ago in the springtime, whenever, you know, things start getting whacked out, amen, concerning the weather. They had a new war, storm warning, and they, they would come on now. I don't remember what the old warning was. See, there you go. <laughs> amen, what the old warning sounded like, but the new one sounded like this. It would say, deadly, take cover now. This type of storm historically is destructive. Now why did the state of Indiana bolster their warning to the inhabitants of the state? I'll tell you why. Because people have a tendency to ignore weak warnings. Number two, people have a tendency to get familiar with the warning that's being sounded over and over and over so it don't have the same influence, it don't have the same impact, so now they gotta get a little bit more drunk and say it's deadly, historically it's destructive, they're trying to grab somebody's attention. So sometime I run around here and I scream and I holler because some people are just ignoring the warning that's already been given. And they're doing it right in the middle of church. So number one, 
Most accidents happen close to home because that is where we spend a good portion of our time. But number two, concerning this concept of accidents happening close to home. Number two, drivers have a tendency to drive incautiously when they're close to home. Because they're familiar with the turns in the road. They're familiar with what lies along the streets. They know who have children that will be playing in the street and who don't. And because of them being familiar with their surroundings, it then gives to them a sense of false security. Someone say amen. And so they let their guard down. They don't pay as much attention as they would on a foreign road because this is a familiar road. Someone say amen. And so the places that people feel most familiar are the places where they are in fact at greatest risk of serious injury. Oh, someone say amen. They don't pay much attention to what's going on, whether it be positive or negative. Because this is familiar. This is not a new message. This might not go out of the fence tonight. But listen to me. We get familiar with the church. We get familiar with the order of service. We get familiar with the voices of the preachers and the teachers and the saints for that matter. We get familiar with those that are sitting around us. There's Joe, there's Susie, there's, there's Uncle Judd. We, we get familiar, amen. And you know what familiarity does? Familiarity breeds boredom. It breeds boredom. Let me tell you, there's been times in our household in the McGee household that we have taken toys out of the rooms of our daughter and our son out of our kids toy collection that seemingly they no longer play with they no longer have any interest with they could care less whether it existed or not and we have taken them and we found a spot for them out in the shed or out in the garage just waiting for Sister McGee's annual garage sale if it isn't bi-yearly Amen. We got to have it because she goes to everybody else's yard sale all those other weekends. And Brother Pat. And <laughs> but Brother Mason, bet your bottom dollar. Now, I'm not asking you to bet. But whenever we go start rummaging, rummage sales, right? Rummaging through that stuff and getting it all ready and getting it priced and getting it set up. If the kids are in any distance to where we're setting up. Whenever the Julie Jolie doll that you pull a string on that says mama comes out of the box. <laughs> You're not going to get rid of Julie Jolie, are you, Daddy? You're not going to get rid of Julie Jolie. And you know what those kids do? They're our first shoppers. They got bags and they're tucking things up under their arm and every stuffed animal that they ever licked an eyeball or sucked on the ear of, honey, they got it all tucked back under there and they're putting it back on the bed and stringing it up on that chain where stuffed animals hang and all of that stuff. Why in the world? Because they've been separated from it. 
it's lost its familiarity to them. It's almost like having a new toy. They're not bored with it anymore. Uh, someone say amen. And so they start playing with it again. It has real value to them again because it's not familiar, if you will, to them anymore. So church comes familiar. People, we go to church comes familiar. The conduct of worship becomes familiar. The voices of the masons singing and our musicians get familiar. Oh, it don't? Allow some of them not to be here and I'll show you what happens. And whenever that type of stuff, you start getting familiar with things, then you start getting bored with those things. Now listen to me. This is not me. This is a professional doctor from, from, from Houston, Texas, a psychologist that states scientifically that whenever an individual becomes bored with something, that the part of their brain that holds their conscience, that goes to sleep. And so Solomon says, I was in the midst of the congregation. I was in the assembly. I had audience with God at times. At a temple named after me. I frequented that house. But you know what? Solomon got familiar with a temple being named after him. He got familiar with the audience of God. He got familiar with the gold and the silver and the ornateness of the temple and all of its fineries and even what he sensed and what he felt in so much that he got bored with it. He got bored with going to church. He got bored with the songs. He got bored with the sacrifices. And when he got bored, his conscience went to sleep and he did things right in the middle of church he'd have never thought about doing. Whenever you get familiar and bored with the church, your conscience is turning off and you'll start doing things, meandering places. It's just a thing in your life, even in spite of conscious voices. And you have believed some of the stuff I've seen right in the middle of church. Oh, someone say amen. Boredom, conscience, asleep. That's the reason why some people that get bored with their spouse, they'll do things that are not even convenient. Because the conscience is asleep. There's not a good or bad it's numb. Voices can be echoing. Conscience, though, is asleep. You can be speaking Greek and Hebrew. There's no reasoning there. My conscience is offline. Come on, all the, all the Facebook frilly people and you got that little thing over there on the right and it has little green buttons if somebody's online. You can converse and have conversation with them. But if it's not there, they're offline. Try all you want to. You're going to have to go old school or something. 
or like me, I got mine hit so you don't know when I'm on or off. <laughs> All right, in the internet. The woman, listen, Borden. The woman caught in the act of adultery, some that brought her unto the Lord. Notice their addressment of the Lord. They still call him Master. Master, we've caught this woman, the, act, the very act of adultery. Moses in the law says that we should stone her. What do you have to say concerning the matter? And I believe at this particular point, for the most part, the majority of them, Jesus among them was still a kind of bewildered, frill thing. Man, this is, this, is, this is pretty wild. Some of the things that blind eyes being opened, you know, food being provided and when you're hungry, it's pretty odd. And it's still, it was still fresh to them. <laughs> and so then in John 8 and 9, whenever a grouping of them have already picked up stones for the casting at the woman, the Lord's still being master and this still being a little bit of a fresh route of having him among them the Bible says they which heard it whenever Jesus told him he that is without sin cast the first stone see there's the voice of a teacher the voice of an instructor and the Bible says when they heard it he's not yet become familiar to them and so they're not bored with him so their conscience is still active and they which heard it being convicted, what? By their own? Because he's still fresh to them. They're still a little wild and wooed by what he can do. Man, that's neat. That's awesome. And so their, their conscience is still acting. And so whenever he says something, man, conviction falls. And all that came from their conscience because it's still alive. It's online. It's awake. It can dif dif differentiate between good and bad, evil, and all these other type of things because they're not bored and familiar with him yet. And one by one, they went out beginning at the eldest, even to the youngest, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. They all began to stop. They started dropping their stones. They were able to take it. But not far removed from that scenario, Jesus still being up on the earth in Luke chapter number 7, we read that a Simon the Pharisee asked Jesus to come to his house. Now, let me tell you, there's something within, within that itself. Because there was a centurion that had a sick man in his home, and he said, Lord, don't even come. Why? Because he could have already tell this guy was some, had some clout and power and prestige, and I'm not worthy for you to come to my home. He wasn't real comfortable with that, not because the Lord wouldn't come, but because this is, this is a man of power. This is a man to be respected and revered. But Simon the Pharisee is comfortable enough. He says, come into my house, Jesus. Now, there's been a thing going throughout the land that's talking about this Jesus. Some say he's John the Baptist that has risen from the dead. Some are saying he's a great prophet. 
his fame of his name and who and what he has done and is has went out through all, all the land. And the Bible says in Luke 7, 39, now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake with himself saying, because the lady has come in to anoint him and wash his feet and cry tears and give him kisses and they've seen this woman come in and the Lord's not doing anything about it. He's not saying get out of here, you know, you good for dirty nothing and all that. No, he's not saying that. And so everybody's musing within themselves and look, look, look what happens. He spake within himself saying, Simon this is. Notice the addressment within himself. This man. People's calling him prophet. Calling John the Baptist risen from the dead. He's great. He's revered. He's wonderful. But Simon has felt comfortable enough to allow him to come in his house. And he's getting a little bit more familiar to the place. He's saying, he's just a man. This man, if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Simon had gotten close to him, realized that he had some human traits that he had, become familiar with him. And even though Christ had healed several already of the sick and already cast out many of those that already had unclean spirits, many miraculous things had already taken place, he had already grown familiar enough that he's kind of bored with the Lord in so much that whenever the Lord addresses him he says Simon when I came in here he said thou gavest me no water for my feet and thou gavest me no kiss and thou didst not anoint my head or my feet you did not anoint me why not Simon because Jesus now is just an old hat walking in shoe leather here around Galilee Someone say amen. We see again. I won't hold you much longer. I, 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 I'll give you that promise. I really will. Matthew 13, Jesus goes where? He goes to the city of Nazareth where his childhood was. He returns there, his hometown. And what are the pleas of the people? This is the carpenter's son. Familiar. This is Mary's son. Familiar. Are not his brothers and sisters here with us? He's got relatives here. Familiar. And what happened in Nazareth? The Bible says not many mighty words. And another place of scripture it says he healed a few sick folk. I'm running too close. Just stand with me. I'm telling you. I'm, I do like I do for my wife sometimes. I put a Paul McGee guarantee on this and she knows that sign's still delivered anytime I say that. 2 Samuel 6, us in Ohio drave the new cart that David brought to put the Ark of the Covenant on. Those two boys had been reared in the house of Abinadab where the Ark of God had been, probably by and large for a better part of their life, 20 some odd years. And yet whenever they go, they're driving the cart. No doubt it had instruction whenever the cart come in or whenever rather the Ark came in, what they should do, what they shouldn't do reverence and respect that should be had but whenever they drive it out on a new cart which was not how it was brought in Uzzah puts forth his hand somewhere where there's a stumbling and touches the ark why'd you do that Uzzah? why? He, why'd you do that right in the, in the presence of God? The ark. why'd you do that right in the presence why'd you do that right in the presence of God? because I grew familiar with it and when I became familiar with it, I got bored. And when I got bored with it, my conscience went to sleep. 
And so me touching it, there's no right and wrong now in doing that. Right in the middle of church. Right in the presence of God. Let me tell you, there's something that I share, and I wish you would just make this a part of your life. Amen. And making this request every once in a while. And I tried to do it. Amen. Oftentimes it comes to my mind. And you know what I tell God sometimes? I tell the Lord, I say, Lord, I want to be easily impressed by the Spirit of God. Whether that be in a positive fashion or whether it be in a fashion of conviction for the purpose of repentance, I want to be easily impressed by your Spirit. I don't want to have to get in a rest, arm wrestling match with God and like, you know, if you get me down, okay. No, I don't want it to take that. I want his, his spirit to be able to come in and just blow on me. And I'm like, yes, sir. And I don't want that to get old. I don't want to be callous to that. Of God. And we've said before, and maybe, maybe I'm just a voice of remembrance and recalling, you know, how people can leave and someone can say, boy, you know, we had great church settlements like on the other side of the planet. Like, what are you talking about? You know what some of that is? You grow familiar with church. You get bored with church. Your conscience goes to sleep. And so he can blow. But it's like, that's not no big deal. That's no big thing. Right in the middle of church. So we preach like we do sometimes. And you know, sometimes when that happens, people are like, whoa, what got into them? You ever left here sometimes thought that, you know, bishop, priest, or pastor preaches like, man, who poured gunpowder on their Cheerios today? Well, they got in their crawl. You know what happens, though? It breaks up the monotony of the familiar. Because we sometimes just approach some of those matters in the same old tone and the same old demeanor. And, well, blessing Jesus, Amen. But whenever we come up here sometimes and get red in the face and wrinkles come across our forehead and you walk away like, what was the deal with them? It grabs your attention. It's not familiar. It may have even woke up your conscience. And now you can decipher again between right and wrong, good and evil, right in the middle of church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, let's bow our heads all across this place today. Hallelujah. This altar is open tonight. Any, any. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.